Hey everyone, back with another episode of Corona Economy. This time we talked to Christian Roper, filmmaker, producer, entertainment biz guy. Entertain entertainment. He's yeah, a he's treasure a treasure hunter. Yeah, a real life treasure uh, hunter. The the real question is, what is this guy not? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, he was just telling us how he just was like flying the country, flying across the country, diving places, talking to people, doing things. Meanwhile, machine. I'm over here. I'm over here. And I, in the middle of the episode, I had to take off my pants because I was getting too sweaty. It's a true story. I wasn't proud <laughs> well, of it. I'm not proud. But it well, happened. I mean, I couldn't tell at all. So it makes you feel <laughs> no better. one could. It's a podcast, baby. <laughs> all right, well, why I do these things we don't want to keep you guys too much longer here it is Christian Roper we're here with Christian Roper Christian just tell us a little bit about what you do yeah so my background is actually in I guess travel and expedition photography and the last two years I have been in the world of filmmaking. Um, now I am a documentary film producer and treasure diver. Um, and I do some very kind of atypical 24 year old things. I'm already interested. I'm intrigued. <laughs> Uh, tell me, tell me more about that. Uh, not every day you hear from a 24 year old that you're finding buried treasure. Uh, yeah. So, um, both of my parents growing up were dive guides in, in Eastern Mexico. And, um, I kind of grew up obsessed with the ocean and that eventually leads you into being obsessed with pirate stories and stories of treasure and things like that. And uh, yeah, I've really never grown out of feeling like a kid on the inside. So uh, when I graduated college, we all went to school together so we can get that secret out there. Um, it, when I graduated from college, I started looking into a local legend involving a uh, pirate by the name of Jean Lafitte and started producing an independent documentary which blew up much bigger than I was expecting it to. And uh, it's been two years now um, producing it, hoping to sell it to either um, Netflix or uh, all options are open at this point. But yeah, I'm here to talk about how production of that has been impacted. I've filmed with other TV shows that production was entirely different than I was expecting because of COVID and uh, just the entertainment in industry in general has is, is seen it, a lot of changes, um, some good, some bad. I think a lot of good actually is coming out of this. You're seeing industries that were lagging in a lot of areas have to kind of revolution, revolutionize themselves overnight, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, but I always like to see everything in a positive light. Like I was just thinking earlier today, how lucky we are that 
the uh, the pandemic happened now as opposed to 10, 20 years ago, even five years ago. Um, because we all went through school knowing about video conferencing, knowing about the online world, but there are so many people out there who just mm-hmm. would have in completely struggled. So many industries would have been entirely shut down five, 10 years ago easily. Um, and I'm, I'll gladly talk about some of that. Yeah. So you said a lot there and I'm really excited to break that down and get into all that different stuff. But I, I want to know, so are you still filming for the documentary or what, what stage are you at with that? Yeah. So we are done with the bulk of it. Now it is a lot of diving, a lot of stuff that is thankfully uh, very safe in mm-hmm. terms of um, virus prevention and things like that. Still filming. It's an ongoing thing. Um, and, and with a documentary, it's, it's a lot different from a movie because you you go into a movie with a screenplay and you know exactly what you want. And so you know what you don't have, but with a documentary, you just keep going until you feel you have everything. And and there are so many moments where you feel like there's, there's one more piece um, that you want to include, but we're slowly chipping away, hopefully finishing filming within the next month. Um, working with people from several different countries on the post-production part. And uh, then we'll do the film festival run and uh, get it public. So gotcha. toward yeah. the, the end of the filming process. But the, the biggest thing for me was, was these interviews. This is a documentary film and getting these interviews was the biggest thing. And so what an interview is for us, like what that looks like, in terms of logistics, mm-hmm. um, we would travel to, to someone's house. And the nature of the story, it's, it's mainly, um, you know, elderly to sometimes very elderly um, that, that we've been interviewing. And so it's a very careful situation that you have to always consider, um, especially now if, if someone was doing the same thing you know, is this this even safe if they are, you know, potentially sick or um, could get very sick, you know, is is that even a safe situation? But luckily we were able to get all of our interviews done um, in January. And uh, since then it's just been the the fun part, the diving and um, going out and shooting in airplanes and and with drones. And and it's, it's just been easy from there but there's still a lot of precautions that we want to take. Gotcha. Okay. So obviously it sounds like your filming wasn't that impacted by COVID and you said you finished all the interviews in January. So that wasn't really an issue, but as far as the production side of it, um, has that kind of, I guess you can kind of do everything on a computer. So you don't, that wasn't really impacted as much. Is that fair to assume? Yeah. So it it hasn't impacted us a lot in terms of actually doing things. It it has kind of impacted the back end. There were a few scenes we actually wanted to film in Mexico in a place called Isla Mujeres, but it was at the time we were wanting to film, it was extremely difficult to get actually into the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the TV shows and, and film crews that I've talked to 
have had a lot of trouble when they're filming in foreign countries because uh, like they are not being allowed in. Mm-hmm. Um, was this over the summer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so okay. things are, are slowly starting to open back up. And I remember the week I was working with a film crew the week that everything opened back up. I, in January, I had kind of verbally agreed to, uh, to work together with them on a project. I can't, you know, mention a lot, but we had agreed we were going to work together on this project. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the, uh, the March lockdowns hit. I remember where I was. I, was. I had tried to track down a person for another interview and it was optional. There are a lot of things that we film that are optional. Don't think they'll make it, but we, we'd love to have those just in case. I was trying to track down this guy at a meeting where I knew he would be. And uh, right after I left the meeting, that's when everyone got the ESPN alerts and, and news alerts that you yeah. know, NCAA tournament, NCAA tournament was being shut down. All these other things were closing. And so I was like, man, this is really big. I had been tipped off to something about a month before my mom works in healthcare in like the Southeast Texas area. Mm-hmm. And uh, she'd gotten really sick toward the end of January and early February. And uh, then she started having patients get really sick and they were sent out with this disease. And you know, I remember she called me and, and in February, she basically said, stop traveling right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I pretty much stopped traveling right then. And then in March, kind of everything hit, but I, it's a non-union what I'm doing. So we don't have to necessarily follow a lot of the, uh, unionized rules that they have in California. And when I was working with that uh, production company out of Hollywood, uh, it was the first week and then they had all these new COVID rules and no one really knew what to do. It was a really strange experience for everyone. They didn't know if, you know, masks would work. I remember I had to fly across the country to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to get to this film set. And uh, I just remember well, <laughs> it was my first time traveling and it was, it was the weirdest thing. And it was their first time traveling in months too. And, and we were in crowded uh, airport in Chicago O'Hare. And uh, you know, everyone was like, is this even safe walking around all these people? There were still so many questions at that time. And uh, I had to get tested before, during and after filming. And if you've been tested, it's not a super fun experience. Especially so, early on, right? They had to do the whole nose swab and everything. Uh-huh. It's horrible. Uh, and actually, the, the funny thing was that it was, I had to drive for, you know, hours finding a test. I had a test negative before I could even get on the plane. And so it was also at the time where there were, the tests were in such high demand. Mm-hmm. that they weren't allowing uh, like asymptomatic people to be tested. And so I had to track down four or five different places and tell them I was asymptomatic, that I was going to test negative, and that I needed a negative test for work. And uh, it was very difficult to talk them into letting me get a test. And I finally found a place. And uh, it's been few months since then i don't know if much has changed in terms of the amount of tests but that was just the biggest pain in the beginning but it's it's a i don't know it's it's a kind of a funny story on your first start to 
um, kind of the Hollywood film industry is that you go into it and it's the complete opposite of what it normally is. So yeah, tell me more about, tell me more about that. Like, what is it? I mean, we could probably figure what it's usually like, um, but what is it sort of like now? Is it just everyone's wigged out um, and stuff like that? Yeah, I would say the, the industries that were hardest hit were the two I was most familiar with. And it was the film industry and the music industry. And when I was in university, I'd also spent some time touring and that was incredibly, you know, destructive to uh, the music industry. The virus was, Mm. and so many people were immediately out of a job. People don't realize how difficult it is to make music when you can't play live shows. Yeah, um, you know, streaming service, streaming services don't pay a lot. Um, and, and when I was touring with artists, they would always say they made their money selling merch and uh, selling albums in person. And all of a sudden, a lot of people are out of that revenue stream right there that was um, providing for them and their families. And they had to find something else. A lot of people ended up either leaving the music industry entirely. I know a few um, people particularly in the Christian rap industry some pretty big names where you know it was a month in and they made that decision they weren't going to produce any more music they were going to find something that's a little bit more pandemic proof yeah Kanye he did that <laughs> <laughs> you've got this industry that's it's really hard hit and a lot of towns that are completely propped up on that you know Austin a lot of its big um, you know draw is the live music industry they're south by southwest when it went down there were a lot of people who you know their entire uh, year salary is based on what goes on at south by southwest Mm -hmm. and uh, all of a sudden they're out of money they're out of a job they've got to figure something out and uh, that took a big toll luckily the people i knew in it were were okay Um, i'm hoping a lot of it survives. There might be what I'm kind of predicting is that there's going to be um, when there's a slight return return to normalcy, there will be a big kind of rebound effect where mm-hmm. when a lot of people are deprived of something, they are going to um, be much more open to spending money on, on what they were kind of um, what, what they would rarely splurge on in the past and i think concerts will see a big uh rebound effect in the future concert venues if they can make it mm-hmm. through and uh the film industry is, is kind of in the same way it's a lot of people working on contract in in la it's it's a very like uh cutthroat industry it's um, very hard to find stability um everyone there is incredible at what they do but there are only so many opportunities to go around mm-hmm. and so a lot of people were 100 percent in on on producing and and um filmmaking and then all of a sudden that was taken away all film uh projects were entirely shut down it uh impacted kind of the day-to-day working but it also impacted studios and planning and it's impacting really how we consume media there's been a huge shift from 
the cinema experience recently to uh, VOD or video on demand, um, things like Netflix, Prime Video. And I think it's been coming for a long time. It's nice having stuff right in front of you when you want it. I don't think this is marking the end of the cinema experience at all. Um, but I do think it will find its place, um, especially things like IMAX and 3D. I don't think home entertainment will ever top that. But one thing I did mention to you earlier is that I think uh, a lot of lower budgets and mid-budget movies might not even worry about uh, releasing in theaters anymore. I think they'll say, we don't expect people to show up if they can just watch it on the couch. And so I think that's going to change the business side of things. I think they might just sell directly to uh, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, whoever wants it. Um, so you're seeing a big change that way. It, kind of one of the unifying moments of the entire pandemic was uh, that few days where everyone was at home watching Tiger King. Amen. And uh, Amen. <laughs> it was you know that was one of those big moments where everyone will be able to look back on it it's kind of one of those it, it, it's kind of the moment people might look back on on the entertainment industry side and say that's when we knew that kind of consumers were shifting more toward um just ease of watching things when you've got if you've got stuff at home we don't need to go out Theaters aren't the safest um, when there's a pandemic. I know Tenet hasn't been making the money that it wanted, and it, it really can't with all the theaters having um, strict protocols and things like that. But it's, it's kind of uh, shown a lot of flaws in the system and a lot of outdated um, mindsets, I think, the shift should have been made toward producing perhaps lower budget, but more content for um, streaming sites. There's kind of a fear now that the pandemic might just uh, put so many theaters out of business and uh, decrease interest in theaters so much that the huge budget movies like the, the, Marvel movies and the, I mean, $400, $500 million budget movies, you know, they might be over with because there's no way they would make that back in a theater setting anymore if things do not return back to usual. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they do. Um, but my experiences, my experiences with the film industry in general were absolutely wonderful. Everything's, uh, you know, mm -hmm. kind of strange for them too. A lot of it's moved to home. I knew people that were working in an office contacting me um, from their home and they, they were having such a difficult time. I can't imagine what, uh, yeah. what editing rooms are like right now when there's typically, you know, all the people in there and, and trying to get a film edited and they're doing that from home now, uh, which, which has to be the weirdest thing and most difficult um, aspect of production. I don't know if you guys heard, but the Batman uh, was put completely on pause because Robert Pattinson tested positive. Yeah, and I did hear kind about of, that. That was everyone's biggest. You mean fear. Twilight? He was in <laughs> Twilight. He's not in yeah. Batman. 
<laughs> that was everyone's biggest fear was that, uh, you know, I'm going to test positive and then all of a sudden this, you know, sometimes multi-million dollar project is immediately going to be put on hold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of the film crews, they are absolutely like bare bones production setup right now. You know, I, I filmed a, a pickup interview recently and uh, there wasn't even anyone from the company uh, on site. They hired two local people to come out it's just because it was it was so difficult and you know i'm sure they have all these rules to follow but yeah it, it was the the strangest thing meeting people for the first time and only being able to see half their face oh yeah that's yeah that's been weird with with the, with all the masks yeah and i mean this is this is kind of funny but i i mentioned this earlier to you but the 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 two realities thing that was kind of the funniest thing that we had while filming. And it was the, the producers, we would sometimes go out to eat um, and they would talk about what they were trying to craft with these shows or whatever project they're making. And they talked about the shows that they would make would be kind of a relief from the COVID world. And, uh, I'm sure you guys, I, I find myself doing this all the time, but I, I'll watch movies and things like that now and be like, why are they not socially distancing? Yeah, that has been kind of weird. I I think about that all the time. Even when it's like highlights of, I don't know, like golf, I'm just like, the crowd is not six feet apart. I feel like I'm that one girl in in like elementary school that's like telling the teacher that, I took the scissors or something. I wasn't a scissors king, but I don't know. That was a really bad example, but yeah, I, you get I the point with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'm just going to go back on mute. You're like ready to <laughs> like tattle on people for not being six feet apart. Cause uh, I feel the same way. So when, Thanks. when you kind of talk about these two realities, are you talking about are like on the set versus like going to dinner after or yeah. So August through, what does that mean? So there's, there's the COVID world and then there's the non COVID world. Gotcha. And what the yeah. film industry and, and reality TV and documentaries and, and, and all these movies, what they're desperately trying to represent right now is the non-COVID world during all these mm. COVID protocols. And so I remember um, one time walking in front of camera and I still had my mask on. And this is supposed to be just like completely normal. They don't want people knowing that this was, you know, directly in the middle of a, like a raging pandemic in the U.S., when people watch the, the episode or film whatever in 20 years, they don't want to know that this was exactly during that time. Yeah. You don't but, want to be able to date it. <laughs> there were multiple like times that. where we walked in and had our masks on and nobody caught it oh, just because it, it's such a weird, you know, it's like everyone's supposed to have masks on. We're not shooting. I would walk in during a, a take or something like that and then be like, Oh shoot. I have my mask on. Let's, you know, let's, let's do this over. Were you acting in this? Um, acting, no. Were you just an extra? Dancing? Um, on camera, yes, but in terms of acting as in it's fake, no. Uh, I would say like on, on camera. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So I, wow. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. So do you think that... Th- 
I guess I have, I have a question that has a couple different parts, but do you think that you'll be able to tell in the future, like us viewers in the future that we'll watch a movie, whether it's low budget, mid budget or high budget that was filmed during the pandemic, whether it's Batman, which is pretty big budget or I don't know, some smaller medium sized movie. Do you think we'll be able to tell, Oh, there's not a lot of extras. There's not a lot of crowd. This was probably filmed during the pandemic or, Oh, this was filmed in areas where it's not as lax. And also the other part of that question is, do production companies kind of tend to favor these areas where the rules are more lax so they can get more people in extras in a set that needs more people in extras? Um, I wouldn't say they, they go places depending on what could be done. Mm-hmm. They, it, it, I would say they might choose locations or countries on, on what they can actually get into. Gotcha. So it's more of like a access restriction. Yeah. And, and they're so, they're so careful with it that, I mean, I, I felt very safe doing my stuff, doing stuff with other crews just because I had been tested. I knew, you know, I was fine. I knew these other people had been tested. We were very careful about staying away from people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but I don't know if you'll be able to tell in the future um, with, with some of the, you know, very uh, big budget things mm-hmm. <laughs> you might see uh, maybe an extra in the back or two who, who did forget to take a mask off. Mm-hmm. I do think that's probably going to be fairly common. Yeah. Be- well, yeah. That's I also think that- it's kind of weird. Cause like in the future, I feel like people are just going to start wearing masks more often. So if you see, if you're filming a movie in New York in the future, you might just see a lot of people in the background wearing masks, a lot of normal people that aren't tourists, you know? Yeah. So a lot of these sets have a rule to where, you know, it's like the moment the camera stops rolling, everyone mask up. Gotcha. You know, go back into the COVID world. Mm -hmm. And then when you're ready to film, you know, mask off, tuck it in the back pocket. Gotcha. And uh, then all of a sudden you're in the non-COVID world. So it, it's it's trying to like switch your mind. And I can imagine how awkward it is for actors, you know, for the last six months or whatever, you've been told, do not get anyone near everyone, or, or, do not get anywhere near anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden you've got to do like a, a kissing scene or something like that. I can imagine how that's- Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. But I don't know if you could tell the one thing I would say is that a lot of production companies and uh, networks are so starved for content right now that mm. they are throwing up absolutely anything. And so you will be able to tell some things because they're recording over zoom. They're recording over Skype, um, you know, very low budget. Some of the, the setups you might be able to tell were made during this time and in some of the content too, I've seen a few yeah. shows kind of embrace the pandemic thing. I was watching uh, the, uh, the ghost adventure show the other day and they did like a pandemic episode. Oh, no way. That's so yeah. funny. But I, I know you mean, I have seen, I think um, that Apple TV show, the Ravens banquet, they mm-hmm. did a zoom episode and then another, there's a whole nother show on NBC that is just completely pandemic driven all on zoom. Josh, did you have mm-hmm. a question? 
Yes, sir. I do have a question. You just know what I, you know what I look like when I have a question. (laughs) Um, So what do you think? I mean, you talk about teleconferencing, you talk about masks, stuff like that. What do you think is going to stick with these entertainment, whatever you want to call them, companies uh, that, what what do you think is going to stick because the process was bad in the first place? If that, Am I making sense? Yeah, no, I think it's the exact uh, exact same as, as what might stick with, um, you know, businesses. I think a lot of it could be done from home. Mm-hmm. And I think they're realizing how much money they could save if they um, allowed remote work in, in certain cases mm-hmm. or even cut out some work. Um, for example, they might look at what they were able to make um, during this summer versus two years ago and say, Hey, we, we made just as much money with this small of a crew, with this small of a budget, perhaps this is what we should be making in the future. So uh, another thing is that Hollywood execs are very stubborn. So I don't know if they actually would change. Um, It would be nice to see, The thing is, I don't have a lot of experience outside of this too, outside mm-hmm. of the strange circumstances. I was never um, on a movie set prior to this, or at least a large movie set prior to this. So I can't speak like one of those people who saw my daily job change overnight. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, mm-hmm. the entire structure of the crew and structure of the company changed. I just saw how difficult it was for, uh, the crews I did work with, they, they did a lot of teleconferencing. A lot of people who probably normally would have traveled to the set mm-hmm. were just watching from Hollywood. And, and you know, they oh, interesting. And, you know, like directors or yeah. like, oh, mm-hmm. wow. So you had and directors you know, zooming in to a set. Yeah, yeah. They would, they would run wow. you know, video feeds back and forth and, and things like that. That's um, interesting. But a lot of stuff you see now is on TV is, is reruns or stuff mm-hmm. they've just been holding on to. I think a lot of networks and uh, even streaming services, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu might try to buy lower budget things um, just to have in kind of the reserve tanks to yeah. uh, throw up in case they ever, something like this ever happens yeah. again, or in case this is, continued longer than is projected Mm -hmm. um which is really good for people like me trying to break into the industry and and producing you know low to mid level content i'm Mm -hmm. not you know throwing millions of dollars at things but Mm -hmm. at the same time you know i'm still producing content that you know has a really good shot right now at being bought by one of these services just because so many people are home so many people are not spending the money on other forms of entertainment you know, it, I know you guys have, have looked at like production possibility frontiers in business school. It's the same concept with how much free time you have. Mm-hmm. Everyone yeah. has free time that they love to spend on entertainment. And right now it is swaying extremely heavily toward staying at home um, and uh, following along with these series and movies that you can watch on your own. And part of kind of what I think your responsibility is in the entertainment world is providing people a uh, like a safe space away from what's going on in their daily lives 
Yeah. So I think it's been really important for stuff to get produced this summer just because people need mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you, you were kind of talking about this earlier, but I, I think, will will there be a, a gap in productions being released at some point just because obviously nothing was able to film from March to May or some sort of time like that, or as long as, as well as everything that is being filmed now, you have these restrictions. It might take longer. It might take more money. Um, will there be a gap in stuff that's being released at some point? I think so. And that's, you'll, you'll see a big difference at the Oscars this year. They were talking about perhaps yeah, making weird. it two years worth of movies because there was so little that came out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, like who, what would win right now? Like, Invisible Man might win. Uh, <laughs> Your favorites are are like Tenet and the uh, the uh, the new Bond movie. Yeah, and Dune. that's like the three front runners mm-hmm. from this year. And Trolls World Tour. That's true. A hundred. I, I don't sleep on that. Don't sleep on that. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> you might see a gap, um, but I, you know, I don't think it will be. <laughs> absolutely, nothing gets put out for six months or whatever they're already putting things out right now that were yeah. just about to be done before the pandemic and then they finished it yeah um but i can't imagine the nightmare that it is to have a you know four or five month delay in production you know mm-hmm. you, what do you do if you have a situation where an actor dies or a director would die mm-hmm. um you know i know of a hollywood executive dying recently um, you know, like, what does a company do in that situation? Um, mm-hmm. Those aren't things you can predict. Um, in in the film, we had one of the uh, one of our favorite interviews. Um, he actually passed away earlier this year, not from the virus, but you know, mm-hmm. he passed away. And uh, when the virus hit, you know, there was so much speculation that it had, you know, such a high fatality rate. If you were incredibly elderly and we were freaking out you know if we're not through with everything you know is there a big risk of you know having to explain in the film if someone watches this 10 years in the future yeah absolutely at the end of the film we explain Mm -hmm. that you know this many people we interviewed potentially passed away that i mean that's an extreme scenario but that's something you think of yeah Um, one of the cameramen i spoke with was working on a reality series and uh i it was three or four um, main characters of this reality series that had passed away like within the first month of this virus really spreading throughout the country. And in that situation, what, what do you do if you're halfway into a season or um, you know, multiple seasons in and you know, you have, part of your cast or most of your cast in this case that had unfortunately passed away you know what the heck do you do in that situation and so that's just one story and i'm sure there are tons like those within the industry Um, thankfully we've been very safe and everyone we know has been very safe Um, but it's kind of one of those horror stories so Christian, going back to an earlier topic, um, sorry, I just forgot to ask it. Uh, you said that 
you didn't really have to change a lot of what you were doing because all of this was brand new to you. Do you think that that sort of served as an advantage to you uh, because you didn't really have to necessarily adapt to the industry um, and you could just sort of roll in as if you were regularly onboarding into a new industry? Um, yeah, I've never thought of that, but I think so. Um, I think that's a great question and a lot of people might be experiencing that right now in a lot of different industries um, mm-hmm, for sure but yeah I mean it was my entire time going through it I didn't think anything was uh, terrible you know all the directors and producers were running around with their you know headsets on and uh, you know I heard side comments talking about you know how difficult it was and how everything was the biggest pain and, yeah uh, getting all the telecommunications to work and, and abiding by all these rules and uh i was there again i wasn't you know doing a lot of work but work on like the technical side of things um, my job was very easy but I, I always heard these comments you know they would talk about how difficult everything was how you know nothing mm-hmm. was working how it was supposed to and i was just there having the time of my life yeah absolutely <laughs> So yeah, I, I could see I could see that I, the entire time I was there, I was I was just like, man, this is such a cool story. I can't wait to tell this story in in yeah. twenty years. It's, it's a really cool thing to work on projects like you know I have worked on, um, but it's another layer on top of that. <laughs> you know, if you're telling a story in twenty years that it was in the middle of a pandemic and on top of everything, you had to follow all these coronavirus rules and and it was just the the strangest thing to you um i'm kind of one of those people that it's a good thing i am working in film but i'm one of those people that thinks of everything as being part of a storyline for example if something negative happens you know i always see it set up another plot point in this story and and, you know Mm -hmm. reverting back to um, having a positive ending, for example, but yeah, I'm I'm someone that always thinks of everything as as part of a story, and so when something like that happens, that's strange. You know, it it was the coolest thing to me. I, I want to, you know, include it in a book I write in the future. Mm-hmm. But it, it was a, a cool experience and uh, a a a very interesting way to start with with all the rules and and having to adapt and you know i was there with people that had been acting in the film industry for decades and uh then they had to kind of rush me to speed on what i was doing mm-hmm. and uh even they were struggling with the mask thing you know i, I completely yeah. take my mask off and uh i'm willing to bet there's going to be some supervisors that did not catch some masks and so you'll see some masks on tv probably that's so funny um yeah that's i kind of going back on what you said but that's kind of the reason we have this podcast is i was like what is this going to be like looking back on this in 10 years we're going to be like that was crazy you know and we want to learn more about this and learn how industries are adapting so it's been great having you on and everything like learning about the film industry you have a ton of insight i just have one last question for you how does a movie like 
Trolls World Tour and a lot of these other movies that are just going straight to video on demand. Um, how, how do those actually make money? Like how, do they, how are they making money and how are they making more money than theaters and why is this such a big deal? I feel like a lot of people don't understand this. Like why something like this can be so disruptive to the theater industry. Can you speak a little bit on that? Um, so the secret about the movie industry is that not every movie um, is destined to make money. A lot of movies are actually predicted to uh, run for a pretty big loss. A lot of times a studio will, will buy a screenplay or something like that mm-hmm. just to kind of diversify what they create. And it, it, it might be marketing goes into it. They might say, Hey, we want to slowly start getting into romantic comedy. Let's produce something that's not that good, but it will slowly start associating our name with this. So we can have the, you know, the big one in the future. Um, and with animated yeah. stuff, a lot of the time it's very expensive and it, it, a lot of times you're looking at a year or more of rendering and, and things mm-hmm. like animation. Uh, but a lot of the times you don't see the revenue stream that the movie actually generates. And a lot of times it's um, a ploy to sell toys and not necessarily sell the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the right people might see the movie and then they're hooked on to toys forever. You know, uh, one of the biggest reasons the Lego movies, you know, were, were so big. And uh, one of the reasons they were approved by Lego was because they wanted to sell toys. They didn't necessarily care about how um, profitable the movies were. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to sell toys. And this was the way to keep toys relevant. Um, But I'm sure it's the kind of same way that you look at, at small businesses. And it's that, you know, seven out of 10 might lose most of their money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two out of the 10 might be, you know, they might stay afloat, they might break even, but it's the one out of 10 that you invest in that's going to fund all the other nine yeah. movies. And uh, that's kind of what happens in, in the industry. Um, but I'm also having a tough time seeing when stuff like that goes directly to VOD, how are they deciding how much to charge? Because I've seen things come to vod and be like 30 dollars yeah i think that's how much no one's going to pay 30 dollars to probably watch it once yeah Um, i think they're going to have to figure out how to lower that at some point Mm -hmm. and uh get it to a price that people would be willing to pay once which might be similar to a movie theater pass or a little bit less Mm -hmm. um and then like kind of like Amazon does, you've got 24 or 48 hours that you can watch it. It might be cheaper, mm-hmm. but if you want, you know, unlimited watches, you might need to pay a little bit more. Yeah. So I, I don't know how good of a business model that will be if they are charging like full DVD price at the very beginning um, immediately as they, as they go on VOD, because I don't know of many people. I can understand if it's a family. Mm-hmm. Um, paying and the entire family experiences the movie that's kind of uh closer to what you would pay at a theater but i i can't see many people spending 30 dollars on a movie that they could probably go without so yeah i don't know but it's going to be interesting to watch the next five to ten years and see what direction it 
goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, hey, thank you so much, man, for joining us. Um, you answered a ton of our questions and just spoke on what the entertainment industry is like. And I think a lot of people don't really know what it's like. And we don't know what it's like to produce stuff. And you were able to talk a lot about that. But I mean, we're, we're definitely going to have to have you come on in a couple months, talk about what you're, you've been doing, what you've been seeing. Hopefully we get a vaccine here sometime in the next year. Who knows? Um, but yeah, thank you so much, man. This was awesome. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you liked the podcast, rate us and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. You can follow us on Instagram at Corona Economy Pod as well. See you next week.